As most of our listeners are aware, most of our work here at Emerge is focused on mapping the capabilities of artificial intelligence across sectors and their respective return on investment. That means we do a lot of work in the private sector. We work with banks, we work with insurance companies, we work with pharma companies who are interested in finding high ROI AI projects. That's the focus of our market research. But as it turns out, that information has value in the intergovernmental realm as well. In places like the OECD, places like the United Nations, yes, they're going to need to have someone who's a policy expert. They're going to need to have academic AI experts, but they're also going to want to know where it's actually making an impact. And fortunately, we're called upon uh, to quite a good deal of these events. Uh, not all that long ago, I was out in Paris at the end of February, right before this crazy coronavirus crisis has struck at the opening of the OECD's AI Policy Observatory, a very exciting project, one that we were glad to be a part of and to be there for the opening of. And the OECD was kind enough to connect us with some very sharp folks for a series of interviews. In a recent Thursday episode, we had Lynn Parker, who's the deputy CTO of the United States involved in technology policy. This week, we interview Cedric O, who is the Minister of Digital of France. This is quite similar to the CTO of the country of France. So quite a substantial role, and he's a man like any CTO of a country well, with plenty on his mind. And we speak this week about finding the balance between regulation and innovation. What do free market economies have to do, and what's the role of regulation and innovation respectively to build a business ecosystem and hopefully societies that are better and will, will keep us sustained into the future. Obviously, quite a lot of disruption has happened since this event at the OECD in Paris, but I think the conversation itself with Cedric and getting his perspective from a, a national level will be insightful and enlightening for some of the business listeners tuned in who want to get a sense of how is this stuff going to be regulated eventually and how should we think about that balance and maybe even where could business leaders be involved in that conversation. Well, there's no better conversation than this one to be able to jump into. So I bring you a great 15-minute chat with Cedric O, the Minister of Digital of the country of France here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Cedric, where I figured we'd start off is getting some of your thoughts on where you think national leaders uh, should be considering as important aspects of AI governance. There's a lot of elements to think about. Where do you have your attention and what do you think is worthy of that attention? I think as far as AI is concerned, but generally speaking, as far as technology is concerned, the issue for governance, especially in the Western world, is to find the edgeway between innovation and protection of all values in our population. If I get a little bit deeper in it, there is a lot of opportunities that are, that are embedded within the AI technology, and we even don't know all of them. So we show leave room for innovation for two reasons. First, because we have a lot of opportunity coming from that, be it in the healthcare sector, be it in the insurance sector. AI is shaping both our economies and our societies. So we have to be able to let the innovation and the innovators go in order to be able to reap all the benefits from that technology. There's also a business question, is at some point, uh, regulation is hindering innovation, and we have a global competition with some countries or some uh, places where there's less regulation, to put it mildly, uh, yeah. and they're able or they will be able to develop better technologies. So we, we, we have to think at the same time our values, our businesses, and when we think of regulation, maybe sometimes of trade policies. Uh, this is the, the first issue. But there is another question that is at stake, is the question of sustainability of AI. Uh, 
And I think that there's growing concerns and growing questions within the European, but also Western democracies about the impact of technology on their day-to-day life. And uh, I'm thinking especially, for instance, of a, a book that was written uh, by Cathy O'Neill, which is called The Weapons of Mass yes, Destruction, yes, which yes. is quite interesting in seeing and, and uh, what can the problems or the collateral damages, to put it like this, brought about by the AI technology with the bias and, and, and the misuse of that technology. And I think at some point we are seeing some kind of a backlash from the middle class all, all throughout the Western world. And I think that technology is a part of the problem, has become mm. part of the problem. Because some of the middle part does not feel unbodied by the, by the transformation of our, of, our, of our world. And technology is a, might have become a part of the problem. So we have to find the edge way between all those issues. Uh, there are a lot of, of thought and a lot of concerns. What we think is, first, we have to be able to create consensus or beginning of consensus at the academic level, because there is no worldwide discussion uh, between the academics on what are the opportunities, but also the risks raised by AI. And, and there is only the beginning of international yeah, and academic yeah. studies on, the, on those points. Then afterwards, we might be able to design some regulation. But first, I think, is to be able to create some discussion and maybe consensus at the academic level. Got it. So there's so many things to cover yeah. here. You tackled, you know, a one sentence for each and there's obviously very many. I think the middle class discussion is quite interesting. Obviously yeah. in America we've felt a bit of that, you know, that, that maybe the elite, the fastest moving yeah. part of the economy no longer feels like it's the bulk of Americans. Yeah. It feels like it's some little quadrant in New York mm-hmm. and San Francisco. Maybe the same kind of dynamic yeah, in France, I can imagine. Um, you folks have your innovation sector too. So this is its own thing. But your thought is, step one might be consensus at the academic level. Now, uh, of course, nobody has a crystal ball. But what you're saying is we need a global view on opportunities and risks that's reasonably bounded. And from there, begin then addressing the social thing. So you think yeah. we're still in this research phase. I think beginning with the, with the regulation uh, uh, thing would be to share the ownership of land on the moon. Because we, we don't even know to what extent the technology will go. We see a few problems, but there are no simple answers. So I think that if you take, for instance, uh, technologies in public order, such as factual recognition, there is no consensus on the efficiency of the technology and the bias. We see some, yeah. some studies, and yeah. so, but first, can we, can we build a consensus on what are the the global figures and, and in what use case this is useful, what use case this is inefficient, and, and what are the main questions that are raised. I read articles saying that the technology has difficulty to uh, to identify uh, racial minorities or something like this, which I think yeah. is a problem of databases. But anyway, so this is only one, one issue. But are we able to first, at the academic level, on people having a scientific approach yeah. to determine what are the, 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 the main inputs within the question? And then we might be able to design beginning of regulation. If I make a parallel with uh, climate change, the awareness of climate change has been able to raise because there was a consensus within the academic sector that there is a global warming. Before that, there was like remor and, and different point of view, but now there's a consensus at the academic level so that the political level can act yeah. and on, on, on a hard basis. And you cannot build a whole parallel, but I think this is something interesting to build them. Yeah. And it's, it's somewhat clear that academia is not void of all 
political bent either. This this can't be avoided. But as to your point, the goal would be, can we get as much scientific yeah. alignment and then say, okay, which of these do we need to tackle first? Yeah. So this is the order of affairs. Otherwise, it will be difficult to create a level playing field, yeah. uh, even a bit a European or a global level playing field. This would be difficult to be built. Do you believe that the priorities of smaller nations and world powers will be different when it comes to what leaders think is important for governance? For example, the U.S. and China, for as examples, might have a, more of a prerogative around innovation because they're already big enough to be doing this, and maybe smaller countries are going to be more pulling for reeling things in. Or do you think sort of everybody will be juggling with more or less the same concerns? Does it vary in the level of power of nations in terms of what's important to them? <laughs> I think the balance of decision might be different between countries that have players that are at the table of innovation in the scope of AI, especially the US or some of the Western countries, and smaller countries that have no business issues at stake. And this is the first issue. But I think the main difference is not between small and big countries, it's between the culture of countries. And for instance, the balance between innovation and public rights is not the same in China and in the US or yes, China and yes, in yes, Europe. Yes, yeah. And I think this is something that is quite accepted by the Chinese people. So we don't have to judge it. And, and oh, yeah. they, they abide by, by that balance, which, is, which says, okay, you have innovation, but you also have control of population. Yep. And, and this is their choice to some extent. But obviously, we cannot make the same decision uh, in the West. Of course. So I think that the, the question is much more linked to cultural value and culture and value. And the arbitrage might be different between Western and Eastern countries, say Eastern countries. Yeah. So that's why, and, and we see at the OECD level, we, we have common approach that can encompass both the EU, maybe the US, I hope, but also Canada, South Africa, yeah. South Korea, Japan. So we have, it, it, it's, it's about values and much more than being about uh, the size the of the size, country. Yeah. It's, it's question, the question of sustainability of technology is a real question for Western countries or, or Western-like countries. It's not really a, qu a question for some countries such as China or maybe Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed, I would say that is the bigger difference. Um, and it's interesting that you're doubling down on that as a point of emphasis. I think that there are questions there to your point as to, you know, if some of the values elements don't have to be as aligned mm. uh, in some places, there could be serious advantages to wielding academia, wielding the private sector as arms of whatever the central power is. Mm. There's advantages to having that data and being able to leverage that. Is there a consideration, you, know, you brought it up early on, a consideration around balancing the two. Is part of that balance making sure the, the pace is up to speed so that there isn't a drastic falling behind? Because it seems like, obviously, that potentially is a risk. Yeah. Open to your thoughts. That's why I was saying that we have to find the edgeway. This is the first yeah. thing. But edgeway is, if we're honest, we have to acknowledge the fact that at some point, to some extent, we will hinder a little bit innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why I think that if we want to defend our value, we must think at the same time of our regulation and value, uh, regulation about values and trade policy. And we, we have to acknowledge the fact that can we allow a product or an application that has been designed under the control of the population, and that is obviously better than the one that has been, yeah. that have been designed by European players or Western players because they were hindered or, or, imp uh, yeah. or they have difficulty to develop it because of the regulation, can we let it enter our market? I think the question is really, is really important. It's not a question on, uh, about 
do the players that are in your market abide by the rules of your market is do the products of, that are available on your market abide by the principle within their development. And, and this is a total overhaul of, of the way we think of the trade policy. Yeah, so trade policy here is an emphasis for you. Do you believe that there will have to be some alignment of trade policies within, let's say, Western nations where, you know, voting and things of this sort are the norm? Um, will there have to be some degree of alignment there to kind of pull together to come up with a consensus of where, where should we be permeable by these new technologies that might be better but dangerous? Where might we not? Is that requirement? Is it desirable? I think that we have to create level playing fields. And this is actually all what we try to do as a DOC level is about. First, if you want to be aligned, you have to know on what you are aligned and on what principle you are aligned. So that's why I was mentioning the fact that first we need a beginning of academic consensus within Western countries. We have those challenges. We share those kind of challenges. The other approach, no, we don't share them because we have, even here, there are cultural differences between the US and Europe. But For sure. At some point, to some extent, we, we can agree on the minimum challenge, uh, uh, challenges. Then on that minimum, okay, let's say that we don't want to go that way. And those implications on those uh, applications should not be developed. Uh, because they entail a lot of, of things in the back office, uh, which would say that, okay, you, you have to do things that you don't want to see to do. So if we are able to go to that point, but this is really a struggle because we see that multilateralism is not really in the global mood, to put yeah, it like yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we need a little bit of multilateralism there, especially within like-minded countries. For sure. And final sort of note here, how important or what is the role of discourse with, you know, you said like-minded countries, countries that, that may not have that same emphasis? What's the importance of discourse or openness to what degree? Where, where does that fit in? Because obviously, you know, Western nations can't act as though sort of they're going to play in their own little world. Like you said, there's permeations from all corners. Does dialogue fit in? In what capacity in your belief? Yeah, we need obviously more dialogue. Uh, this is actually this, the, the first point. We need more dialogue, even with, with countries that does not share the same values, because things evolve uh, throughout the time. And when I say dialogue, I think that, and again, this is what the OECD uh, project is about. It's not only dialogue between governments. It's dialogue between all the stakeholders, companies, yeah, 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 yeah. academics, and I really insist on the academic level, on the academic level, because... There are things that you can share at the academic level and that will be much more difficult at the government level because, uh, because everybody has a, a business issue in the back of their yeah, mind. Yeah. But at the academic level, you don't have the same thing at the yeah. stake. So, well, I think that academic companies, civil society, we, we have to discuss with everybody. And, and for instance, when I go to the US, I obviously have really interesting discussions with Michael Gratchos, which is somehow yes, my counterpart, but yes. also I had discussions with the academics from the Stanford University and, and from the East Coast universities. And, and, and we have really interesting discussion. I mean, I mean, the whole civil society is really vibrant uh, these days about those issues and those issues of regulation of tech. It's not only about regulation of technology as far as AI is concerned, but also uh, the footprint of the big techs and, and, and so on. There is a really, really interesting time going on uh, these days. Yeah, well, maybe to, as a closing point, you've really put an emphasis early on here around garnering that academic consensus, and it feels like that vibrancy that you're mm. talking about now, hopefully, will be what that can be birthed out of. So fingers yeah. crossed that that continues. Yeah. Minister Hill, that's all we have for time. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot.
So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. I know that for a lot of our listeners, selling into the government is actually quite a priority. This is for consulting companies, for vendor companies, who are looking to now find public sector places to get their funds because much of the private sector is reeling in the coronavirus crisis. Recently, we spent four long months finding where the U.S. government is spending on AI, finding the key drivers of their spending and their critical priorities by mapping them across all the different U.S. strategy docs, and finding the key opportunities for vendor companies, for service companies that want to sell AI-related products or services to the U.S. government. If you're interested in that report, go to emerj.com slash gov1, that's gov like government, gov1, and you'll be able to get the full breakdown of that full report and purchase a copy for yourself if you're interested. Again, this is the U.S. Public Sector Opportunity Doc for Artificial Intelligence Products and Services. Make sure to check it out if this is a topic of interest for you. Other than that, we're going to wrap up this episode. I'll catch you here next Tuesday on the AI and Business Podcast.